The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Futures pointing towards a higher open after the Dow closes at a record high. President Biden and his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping speaking by phone late last night. We have a live report from D.C. coming up on the contents of that call. Uber shares trading lower following the company's latest quarterly report. This despite signs of improvement in its ride-sharing business. Meanwhile, pot stocks soaring on heavy interest from those Reddit traders. And a new report says Microsoft made an approach to buy Pinterest. It's Thursday, February 11th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Top of the morning to you. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today. Let's get right to where the markets are starting off because futures are pointing towards a relatively higher open. You can see here the Dow Jones implied higher by, yes, a modest 69 points. Still, though, record high yesterday. S&P 500 implied higher by 11 points and the Nasdaq implied higher by roughly 60 at this stage. So green across the screen if these futures moves hold into regular cash equities trading. On the Treasury yield side of things, we are seeing a little bit of movement, especially in the wake of what happened yesterday with Fed Chairman Jay Powell's comments at the Economic Club of New York. Ten-year note yields dropping ever so slightly, 1.135%, the last trade there. Two-year note yields just about 11 basis points or 0.11%. And the 30-year long bond, 1.90%, the last trade for that benchmark Treasury bond. On the cryptocurrency side of things, we are seeing a bit of a pullback from record highs in Bitcoin, although gaining some steam this morning here. Bitcoin on the Coinbase platform, currently 45570 in change. That's up roughly 1.5%, muted by some standards. Me- meanwhile, Ether up about 2% right now, 1771, the last trade there for those cryptocurrencies. Now to this morning's top corporate news. Frank Holland joins us with your headlines. Good morning, Frank. Hey, good morning to you, Dom. Let's get started with Uber, the company posting a smaller loss in its latest quarter and telling investors it's on track to reach its goal of reporting an adjusted profit by the end of the year. Uber says both its ride-hailing and food delivery business have improved from pandemic lows. Shares are trading lower this morning, but they had gained about 6% during yesterday's regular session following a positive report from rival Lyft. And don't miss Uber CEO on Squawk Box this morning at 8.30 a.m. Eastern. Dating app Bumble, pricing its IPO at 43 bucks a share. That's above the target range. The Blackstone-backed company raising $2.2 billion in its initial public offering. Shares are set to begin trading today on the NASDAQ under the symbol BMBL. Bumble CEO will join Squawk Alley at 11 a.m. Eastern. And AstraZeneca posting quarterly results early this morning. Earnings were in line with estimates while revenue top forecasts. The drug maker now expects 2021 revenues to increase by low double digits. That forecast does not include any impacts from its COVID vaccine and shares of AstraZeneca up about 2% this morning. Dom, back over to you. 
All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for those headlines. Futures right now, again, pointing to some modest gains at the opening bell. The down flight higher by roughly 70 points. Joining us now is Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management. Ryan, as you take a look at markets at record highs right now, are you still comfortable keeping your money invested in the market at these high levels? Yeah, Dominic, I think it just comes down to diversification because like, not every market's created equal here. Um, if you start looking at what technology's done, where the S&P's trading versus other asset classes, I mean, the S&P now trades at like 22 and a half times forward earnings. That's in like the 96 percentile of the most expensive you know, going way back to the tech bubble when it traded like something like 25 times forward earnings. However, when you start looking at other sectors and other asset classes, you start looking at financials, you look at energy, you look at small caps, you know, you really have, I would say, arguably cheap valuations, you know, based on what other parts of the market are trading at. And they've got a lot of runway to move. Like if you look at energy stocks specifically, they've literally been in a bear market since 2014. So you're just starting to see some asset classes start to recover from a, from a long bear market. Financials were trading in the same place since 2018. And you're also starting to see the foreign markets, which like did nothing for the longest time, starting to move, too. So there's plenty of places to put your money right now and get a lot of value. So if there are plenty of places to do it, where exactly are you allocating client money right now? Where's the new money going? Let's say somebody comes in with a check for X dollars. How does that get allocated in your in, in your particular model? Yeah, good question. So basically right now, you've got to have value in your portfolio. You've got to think about that reopening trade. And you've had this huge rotation going on. And I I say it's like been hidden in plain sight. Because if you look at the last three months, um, you know, small caps are up over 25%. Financials are up 25%. Energy is up 50%. Foreign markets, emerging markets are up like 15%. And if you look at technology, it's only up like 13%. So all those different asset classes we've been adding money to. And what I keep looking at, and which just blows my mind, Dominic, is all the money being printed, right? We're looking, talking about another $1.9 trillion on top of the $2.2 trillion, $2.2 trillion we had early last year with the CARES Act, $900 billion the government bestowed upon the economy back in December. And all that looks very, very inflationary to me. And it also says that we're going to have like rocket fuel on the economy come the later part of this year. So any companies that benefit from that reopening, any sectors that benefit from that reopening, you have to have your money there because that's where the relative earnings are going to be much better than places like tech that just killed it last year. But if you're Amazon, you doubled your profits last year. You went from like 10 billion to over 20 billion in profits. You're probably not going to 40 billion in profits this year. But again, going back to places like energy, they're going to double their profits this year because they had no profits last year. So, you know, that's where money's going to gravitate towards. It's going to go where the earnings relatively are better, and it's going to be in those boring old school industries. Ryan, you sound so traditional and establishment. Haven't you heard everything these days is about <laughs> cryptocurrency? It's about marijuana-related stocks. It's about all of these <laughs> different types of new emerging SPACs and everything else. Why haven't you talked about any of those types of investments to put your clients into? Yeah, no matter what the Reddit uh, crowd tells you, Dominic, and yeah, I'm old school, man. You know, eventually the market's going to care about earnings. <laughs> you know, you know it and I know it. And all of these, you know, speculative asset classes that have been bidded to the moon here, um, a lot of that has to do with this flood of liquidity. But eventually, and this is really important, you know, this is inflationary and we're starting to see inflation. Commodity prices are up. Interest rates are up. All these hot asset classes right now, that's like and that's like that's the death knell for them when you start having inflation, because when inflation kicks in 
Investors care about one thing, that's profits and immediate profits, not profits companies are going to have like 40 years from now. So if I'm old school, yes, but that's where the action is going to be. All right. If you're old school like that, take us through then some of the favorite ideas that you have right now. Are there specific stocks or industry groups that you're looking to get into, whether they be individual names or via the ETF market? Yeah. So I've talked a lot about energy this morning. So obviously, I'm really enamored with energy right now. I like pipelines specifically. You know, if you, if you start looking, you get like a 7%, 8% dividend, like the Alarian Pipeline Index. Um, you know, basically, it's a toll every time that oil or gas, natural gas is like put through those pipelines. That's a great place to put money right now. They're paying in a single digit valuations right now. And again, oil demand's going up. It's not going down. Old school fossil fuels. We're still going to be using them for another 20 years, Dominic. Peak energy demand still years away. And I have to think, you know, when the economy reopens later this year and economic growth is like six or seven percent, we're going to be flying more. We're going to be driving more. So I think that's a really, really important place to have money right now. The financials as well. Interest rates are going up. When interest rates go up, banks make more money. They're going to lend more as the other, you know, the latter part of the, the year comes into play. And people are feeling those animal spirits again. They're going to want to borrow money again. Uh, businesses are going to borrow again. You know, it's just going to be an absolute melt up in the economy at the end of the year. And that's two big ways to play that. That's two places that I you know, right now we're allocating capital for our clients. Ryan Payne at Payne Capital Management. We'll call him old school and establishment. Thank you very much, sir. Have a good day. <laughs> I'll take it. Thanks, Dominic. All right. Now to today's top stories out of Washington, D.C. President Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping speaking by phone last night. This was their first call since Biden took office as president of the United States. In a statement, the White House said Biden raised, quote, fundamental concerns, end quote, about Beijing's, quote, coercive and unfair economic practices, crackdown in Hong Kong, human rights abuses in Xinjiang, and increasingly assertive actions in the region, including towards Taiwan. The two leaders also discussed other issues, including the COVID pandemic and climate change as well. Meantime, in other Washington news today, the impeachment trial of former President Donald Trump will continue today on Capitol Hill. NBC's Susan McGinnis joins us now with the latest there. Susan, good morning. Good morning, Dominic. House managers prosecuting Donald Trump will wrap up laying out their case today before the Trump defense team gets its crack at it tomorrow. Yesterday was a very emotional day when a lot of dramatic video was shown. Senators who are there as jurists were also witnesses to that January 6th insurrection, and yesterday they relived it. House managers prosecuting Donald Trump continue presenting their case today after showing dramatic video Wednesday of the January 6th insurrection not before seen publicly. The video rekindling memories of the horror for senators and the nation. I'm angry, I'm disturbed, I'm sad. They came draped in Trump's flag and used our flag, the American flag, to batter and to bludgeon. House this managers detailed Donald Trump's efforts country. to overturn the election. We were getting ready to win this election. Frankly, we did win this election. Alleging the riot was far more choreographed than it appeared. But there was method in the madness that day. They believed that they were following his orders. They said so. Impeachment managers telling of a commander-in-chief who, after egging on the mob, watched the violence unfold with glee. President 
Donald J. Trump ran out of nonviolent options to maintain power. But some Republican senators noted they were not impressed. There weren't a lot of surprises. We've all, we were all here. The Trump legal team takes the floor tomorrow and will continue to argue the president's words are protected free speech and that he never intended to provoke the attack. And the Trump defense team is not expected to use all of the 16 hours that it gets to lay out its side of the case, figuring that the outcome and acquittal for Donald Trump is virtually assured. Dominic? All right. NBC's Susan McGinnis in Washington. Thank you very much for that. When we come back on the show, pot stocks are surging as they pick up lots of chatter on Reddit and Internet boards. The names that you should be watching coming up next. But first, as we head out to break, check out some of this morning's other big movers, as you can see there in the Dow. Pre-market gainers include Amgen, 3M, and Walt Disney. They report earnings after the bell. And stay tuned, again, for the Dow pre-market losers. You can see there some of those ones falling there. Nike, Chevron, and Goldman Sachs. We've got a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this break. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Let's get you a look at some of the themes that we want to keep an eye on that have been playing out over the last couple of days here. First of all, let's check out what's happening with the emerging market stocks. You heard Ryan Payne mention some of those emerging markets and international stocks in the last segment. Well, check this out. The iShares MSCI Emerging Markets ETF. Yes, it's a mouthful. The ticker is EEM. It's down fractionally in the pre-market trade, but we did hit a record high in yesterday's session for this measure of the emerging markets. And by the way, since the pandemic lows, you can see right over here, we are up roughly 90 percent during that span. So a huge move higher. It is now outpacing the S&P 500, which in that same time span is up roughly 78 percent or thereabouts. Another thing to watch right now is what's happening with crude prices. Anybody like me out there who drives on a daily basis knows we're paying more for gasoline. A lot of that is driven by the move higher in crude prices. Currently, $58.28. We're off fractionally in the pre-market trade, though. Still, we are riding an eight-day winning streak for this particular commodity, U.S.-based crude prices. That's the first time it's happened since February of 2019. So a winning streak intact right now for WTI crude. We'll see if it stays that way. It's currently down in the early trade. And then some of those hot stocks that have been short squeezed as of late. GameStop, a huge check there. We are now below $50 for GameStop shares right now in the pre-market trade, off another 3%. Remember, to put things in context, these are closing prices, which is why you're seeing 360 over there. 
On an intraday basis in the regular session, we hit $483 at one point. Somebody paid that much for GameStop. Now it's closer to 50, meaning we've dropped 90% since the all-time highs that we saw around four that we've seen that stock. Remember, since the beginning before, that was a 2,300% rise in GameStop shares. Certainly one of the biggest stock stories of this year to date. Now, the Reddit trading community that drove a lot of that action is creating waves in the market last month with their dive into short, stock, short stocks have now turned their attention to a new trade, which is cannabis stocks. Frank Holland is back with more on that trade. And Frank, is it the Internet boards that are driving all the action in marijuana? You know, it's not driving all the action down, but certainly cannabis stocks, they appear to be the new focus on that Wall Street Bets Reddit page. It really led to a blockbuster day for cannabis stocks that are already trading higher this year on a lot of optimism that federal legalization is coming relatively soon. All right, take a look at this meme. They got more than 40,000 interactions on Reddit yesterday. Many Reddit posters saying they're taking their GameStop and their AMC gains, and now they're putting them into cannabis stocks. Um, this might actually sum up a lot of what we're seeing. So posters say they've been uh, putting money into weed for decades. If you look on the boards, uh, one poster saying specifically, I've been putting weed, money into weed for decades and now actually own the stock. Another person on that thread calling it weed stock bets, just to give you a sense of some of the flavor on Reddit. And yesterday, names like Sundial, they actually closed 78% higher, going from basically a penny stock to one with a market cap of over $4.5 billion. Tilray, 50% higher. Organogram, 37% higher. And the trading volume for many of these names really just through the roof, Dom. Organogram, 643% higher than its 30-day moving average. Tilray, 500% higher with 45 million shares traded. Just to give you some perspective, that's more than Facebook, Amazon, and Alphabet combined yesterday when we're talking volume. One trader talked about beating the shorts on these stocks, but right now that does not appear to be like a GameStop situation going on here. Tilray with the highest short interest out of all these names, but nowhere near that 100% plus that we saw with GameStop. So a lot of interesting moves for cannabis stocks that, again, have been huge outperformers year to date, outperforming the market again on those legalization hopes that a lot of people think is coming. And now they've certainly got the attention of Reddit traders. Back over to you. Frank, Frank, is there any kind of fundamental aspect to this or is this strictly technical or just exuberance, this casino mentality that some say have been going along with some of these Wall Street bets type stocks? Is there anything that, that can underpin a massive doubling in value for some of these stocks? Well, Dom, I went into the Reddit rabbit hole yesterday. So there does appear to be some strategy here. Um, these traders are targeting smaller stocks like Sundial that are easy to move. They're also trading on M&A News, uh, Tilray and Afria. They're planning to merge later on this year. But I think some of these guys, they might just be following that Warren Buffett advice, invest in what you know. A lot of talk about smoking marijuana, uh, smoking marijuana for years, and now transitioning that love of marijuana into actually buying the stock. All right. Uh, an interesting trade. One of the hottest themes so far in 2021, those pot stocks. Thank you very much, Frank Holland. Still on deck for the show, why Microsoft may have been looking to buy Pinterest. Yes, Microsoft buying Pinterest. They already own LinkedIn. Stay tuned. Today's big number, 121.36 terawatt hours. That's how much energy Bitcoin mining consumes per year, according to research by Cambridge University. If Bitcoin was a country, it would be in the top 30 of energy-consuming nations in the world, ahead of Argentina, the Netherlands, and the UAE. 
This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back. Let's check on this morning's other top headlines. NBC's Philip Mena is in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hey, Dom, good morning. As the country continues with the critical COVID vaccination phase, a new Gallup poll finds that Americans are not happy with the rollout. 66% are dissatisfied with how hard it is to get the vaccine. But 71% of Americans say they are willing to get vaccinated. And when it comes to, comes to party lines, 51% of Republicans and 91% of Democrats are willing to be vaccinated. Georgia state leaders are promising a one-time $1,000 bonus for state employees. The announcement was made on Wednesday by House Speaker David Ralston. Those who make less than $80,000 a year will qualify. The bonus will aid employees working in areas like public health, public safety, and more. It'll cover around 57,000 state workers. And a man who's been a controversial figure in America for decades has died. Larry Flint, the founder of adult magazine Hustler, passed away on Wednesday. Flint built a pornography empire and became an unlikely First Amendment activist. He was 78 years old. Dom, back to you. All right, Philip Mena, thank you very much for those headlines. We appreciate it. Coming up on the show, President Biden speaking to his Chinese counterpart last night. Our own Kayla Taoshi joins us with the highlights that's coming up next. And as a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the CNBC app as we take a look live at New York City's Times Square right now, 524 a.m. Eastern Time. Worldwide Exchange is back in a moment. Good morning. A record run for stocks looking to add to gains at the opening bell today after the Dow closed at an all-time high yesterday. President Biden speaking with Chinese President Xi Jinping for the first time since taking office. We'll head to Washington to find out what the leaders talked about. Plus, this morning's top corporate stories, including why Microsoft reportedly explored the idea of buying Pinterest. Interest in Pinterest from Microsoft. It's Thursday, February 11th, 2021, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chewin for Brian Sullivan this morning. Let's get right to the markets. As you can see here, futures are pointing towards some modest gains at the opening bell. The Dow was implied higher by roughly 55 points. A little bit of steam coming out there. But remember, the Dow hit a record high in yesterday's trading. The S&P 500 implied higher by roughly 10 points and the Nasdaq higher by just around 58 to 59 points as well there. So keep an eye on the green across the screen for right now. Treasury yields also are slightly on the move. We're seeing a move a little bit in terms of the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury to the downside. Just a hair below 1.14%, the last trade there for the 10-year benchmark U.S. Treasury note. The 30-year long bond, 1.91%, and the two-year note just about 11 basis points or 0.11%. 
Now let's take a look at what's happening with the European markets, because we are seeing a little bit of movement there. You can see the German DAX up about one third of one percent. The CAC in France, one quarter percent declines there. And the FTSE 100 in the UK just about flat, as is the FTSE MIB in Italy. The IBEX in Spain down about one half of one percent. Now to this morning's top corporate stories. Frank Holland is back with those. Hello, Frank. Hey, good morning again, Dom. The FT is reporting that Microsoft made an approach to buy Pinterest in recent months, as you said, Microsoft interest in Pinterest. But the paper says those talks, they're not currently active. The market valuation of Pinterest has soared by more than 600% during the pandemic. In other deal news, the plan to sell TikTok's U.S. operations to Oracle and Walmart has reportedly been paused indefinitely. The Wall Street Journal says the move comes as President Biden begins a broad review of the Trump administration's actions on Chinese tech companies. TikTok parent ByteDance has been pushing legal challenges against the deal since last fall. Late yesterday, the White House asked it to delay a government appeal of an injunction against the TikTok ban, which was put forward by the Trump administration. And MasterCard plans to open up its network to some cryptocurrencies. The announcement yesterday followed news earlier this week that Tesla has recently bought Bitcoin and plans to soon accept it as a form of payment. Shares of MasterCard up about a percent and a half this morning. Dom, back over to you. All right, Frank Holland, thank you very much for those headlines. Now to Washington, D.C. and that first official phone call between President Biden and President Xi Jinping of China. Kayla Taoshi joins us now with what they talked about. What could a call like that sound like? on the first time they've ever chatted. Well, they have chatted many times before. They've spent quite a bit of time together. Ten years ago, Vice President Biden went to visit China to sit down with Vice President Xi. But this was their first call uh, as leaders of their respective countries. And President Biden had previously said there was no occasion to hold it. But he found an occasion this week with the start of the Chinese Lunar New Year, uh, which is happening today. But according to the call, it was uh, one that encountered many difficult conversations and left many questions open-ended. According to a readout that was provided by the White House, uh, President Biden communicated uh, many things, including underscoring his fundamental concerns about Beijing's coercive and unfair economic practices, crackdown in Hong Kong, human rights abuses in Xinjiang, and increasingly assertive actions in the region, including toward Taiwan. President Biden also committed to pursuing practical results-oriented engagements when it advances the interests of the American people and those of our allies. And President Xi, according to the readout that was then provided by China's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, uh, said that many of those issues that I just mentioned were China's own internal affairs to be dealt with. And while the respective foreign affairs departments of the countries could have a constructive dialogue that's ongoing, that the two leaders should focus on cooperation, because that's what's important for the stability uh, of the world order. Of course, this call comes at a time when the Biden administration is undergoing a wholesale review of the Trump administration's posture toward China. That includes the phase one trade agreement. That includes, as you just mentioned, a deal to sell TikTok to Oracle, which Press Secretary Jen Psaki said yesterday uh, they will study this national security concerns and make a decisive uh, decision on that front. Also, a deal to allow Huawei to partially do business in this country. President Biden yesterday announced a broad intelligence and defense strategy that will be led by the Pentagon. And they'll also be evaluating the U.S.'s military footprint in the Indo-Pacific region, including in the South China Sea. Now, there has been no deadline set for those reviews. Experts say they could take six to 12 months for the U.S. to establish exactly what its China position is. But President Biden making very clear he is not taking a soft line on China.
Don, back to you. Kayla, I wonder now that the the conversation has been initiated. We know that they've been talking at at lower deputy levels for quite some time now since the president took office. What exactly then would be the next step here? What what can we expect to see? Is it a, a resumption of trade negotiations? Is it some other kind of dialogue with regard to what China calls its internal matters? Is it the technology side of things? What exactly could the Biden administration's priority be when it comes to the next step with China? Sure. Well, Dom, the Biden administration has stressed that it wants to return to a formal interagency process where those conversations would be led by the U.S. Trade Representative and the international team at the Treasury Department. Those people are not installed yet. Many of them have not even received confirmation hearings. So that could happen, uh, we're told, in the coming weeks. So expect a whole-of-government dialogue to begin taking place at all of those levels once you start to see some personnel being filled in. As for when you could see a bilateral or expanded by bilateral dialogue between the two countries on issues such as trade. Uh, People I'm talking to say not to expect that uh, in the near term that it could happen on the sidelines of one of these big multilateral events like the U.N. General Assembly, which is perhaps the first big event that could happen in person uh, once vaccination and herd immunity is reached. But last night on a phone call, a senior senior administration official told reporters that at least as far as tariffs go, that the Biden administration is not going to be rolling those back anytime soon as this review is underway. All right, Kayla Tao, she's staying on top of everything Biden, China and everything else. Thank you very much. We appreciate it, Kayla. Sure. The other big story in Washington, D.C., the push to get a covid relief package done. The Biden administration is reaching out to business leaders in a bid to gather support for such a plan. CNBC.com politics and finance reporter Brian Schwartz has a new piece out on that push. It's online right now. Go to CNBC.com. He joins us now to tell us a little bit about what exactly is going to happen and how exactly, Brian, can a deal get done for this massive COVID relief package? Well, thanks for having me done. Good morning. I would say that, you know, in part, it's kind of starting with this building of a broader business coalition. And CNBC has learned that Uh, American Airlines, General Motors, Ernst & Young, among other companies, have been engaging with the Biden White House about, you know, potentially supporting, maybe publicly, if not privately, this larger uh, COVID relief plan uh, that the Biden administration has put forward. And, you know, really, it's kind of a critical piece of this larger effort to get this bill through. And, you know, this is on top of that business engagement from the Biden administration. That's on top of what took place this this week with Jamie Dimon and other CEOs and business leaders uh, in terms of their you know connections with you know, corporate America and this larger coronavirus relief effort. Beyond just that coalition um, putting together in a way, uh, they're also turning to business leaders as stakeholders and kind of advisors, what I was told from senior White House official, in terms of maybe potential advice on what this bill could look like and what advice these businesses could give based on their own experiences of handling the coronavirus pandemic from their own side of things. Remember, there's been, there's been tons of layoffs, people losing jobs, businesses having to make cuts. So, you know, engaging with the corporate sector has been part of this uh, Biden administration effort to, you know, push forward this relief package. And we'll see what happens as we get going here with the legislation. So, so Brian, I, I, I'm kind of curious, what is the purpose of doing this? We know that President Trump and many presidents before have engaged business leaders with regard to trying to craft policy. 
How is this then a, a, a different approach? What exactly is the ultimate objective? How important is shoring up business support for a $1.9 trillion COVID relief package? Well, I would say this. It's that basically, it's, it's, as I was told, it's the attempt to have an echo chamber, right? You get a bunch of these folks on board. Um, and again, they're going to have little issues here or there with certain pieces of the plan. You know, Tom Donahue is, is somebody, Chamber of Commerce. They've engaged the Chamber of Commerce. who's at the White House. He, you know, he's the party CEO for the chamber, and he's had an issue with the $15 uh, minimum wage. So it's not like a, an entirely perfect situation here, but mostly I would say many of the executives I've spoken with have supported this. But to get to your point, they, the whole idea of this is to have some sort of echo chamber. They say they'll tell the White House they support it, and then they'll go out and interviews these business leaders and say, here's why the plan is great. It's, again, a kind of a public relations effort, right? You get these folks to go out there. A lot of people listen to them. Uh, they come on our air, they go speak to different news publications, and they'll explain why they think the Biden relief plan will help America. And that, of course, would put public pressure on Congress to move ahead uh, with this larger effort and just to get it done. And uh, that's that's kind of been the message and that's kind of been the focus and the idea of these calls. Legislation is always a compromise effort. There's no perfect solution here. We, we know that there are components and, and President Biden himself even made allusion to the fact that the fifteen dollar minimum wage may not survive this iteration of, of the bill. Yet I, I know that according to a recent CNBC survey monkey survey, it's almost two thirds of small business owners in America support the one point nine trillion dollar covid relief package. That could include a $15 minimum wage. How exactly then do business owners, small and large, try to reconcile their support for this massive relief package? Well, I, I think, you know, you really have to go off of what, in, in the end, what they're going to put out there, the Democrats, that is, uh, with this bill, once, we, once things start moving forward in Congress. I mean, the, there's also been, of course, talk of the $1,400 checks. That's something that really many business leaders, uh, small and large, uh, support, uh, you know, so there there are many aspects of this that small and large business leaders, executives at multiple levels, uh, clearly based on the polling, based on the conversations I've had, these folks who spoke with the White House do support this. So it, it only at the end of the day puts pressure on Congress, Democrats and Republicans to come together and keep moving forward the legislative process, keep engaging with the White House and keeping these corporate leaders uh, engaged on this process as a whole as we get closer to kind of figuring out how this all ends up with COVID relief. All right, Brian Schwartz, thank you very much for that update there. And by the way, you can read that full story on CNBC.com right now. Back to the markets, which look to continue their recent upward momentum. The major averages are trading at or just off their record highs. They're also on track for a second straight positive week. But check out the Russell 2000 small cap index, the real big winner here, outpacing the S&P 500 for the week, for the month and the year so far, up more than 15% just in 2021. Let's bring in Craig Johnson, Chief Market Technician at Piper Sandler. You look at the charts for a living, Craig. We've spoken a lot over the years. Do the charts tell you there's still upside ahead for those small cap stocks? Dominic, thanks for having me back. And as you look at what's happening with small cap stocks and you're looking at what's happening with the market, I think the answer is yes. I think the Russell can continue to keep moving higher. But I think we got to put this whole advance into perspective. When I go through and I look at all the stats in the market, things look ex as extreme to me today 
to the upside with this melt up that we've had as they do to when we hit the bottom of the market in March 20 of 2020 last year. In fact, when I go through and I look at how many stocks are in some form of an uptrend, Dominic, it's over 80 percent of all stocks. And when I say all stocks, all stocks above a 25 million market cap at a $2 price. So we're looking at over 4,500 stocks. We also have 289 of our industry groups that are making 26-week new highs today. That's just as extreme as what we had seen back at the March lows. So while I think everything is great and more vaccinations happening and earnings recovery and all these things are, are absolutely terrific and moving in the right direction, for me, it's a little bit of a reality check right now. Everything is so good. The question is, how does it get a whole lot better than where we are right now? Market breadth has been great. To me, it feels like we're due for a pause. I don't think the longer term trend is over, but we're definitely due for a bigger pause and a bigger setback. And to be clear, our longer term year end objective is still 42.25 for the S&P 500. But we do need to see some healthy checkbacks along the way here uh, so this market doesn't get too far ahead of itself. Craig, over the years, I've, I've spoken to a lot of technical analysts out there. They've, they've tried to impart some of their wisdom on me. I've, I've tried to use some of their tools in the past, both in my life on Wall Street and as a reporter here. I, I'm curious, when it comes to market volatility, the likes of which we've seen in certain pockets of the market over the last few weeks, specifically in cryptocurrency, specifically in short squeeze stocks, specifically in marijuana stocks, are there any things out there from a technical perspective that have been either damaged, reversed, confirmed because of the recent market volatility? You know, if we take some of those pieces straight across the board, talk about the cannabis stocks. Those charts all still look very much in uptrends. But, Dominic, I would define those uptrends as basically parabolic, meaning they're going up so fast, they're almost bending over backwards. You're seeing the same thing happening with the cryptocurrencies. And I've spent many years looking at the cryptocurrencies, and I look at many of these things, and I'm saying, I want to, I want to sell or trim positions in some of those areas right now because it's been so strong. It's been up so fast. Um, I go through and I even look at some of the clean energy-type names. And again, the momentum and the moves that we've seen in these things are been at extremes. And some of these extremes, when you look back in the past, Dominic, they're, they're at kind of momentum indicator levels that we've seen at prior peaks. So again, not to be the individual that's trying to throw cold water on the party, I'm just trying to look at this market with a little bit of a sense of kind of prudence and a little bit of a perspective of we've gone pretty far pretty fast. We've baked in a lot of good news. I just wonder how the narrative of this market's going to start to change as interest rates continue to keep pushing our way higher and ultimately um, higher rates is probably going to lead to some multiple compression. So we hope earnings pick up fast enough to offset that. All right, so, so technical analysis, part art, part science, certainly a whole heck of a lot of math involved here. With all of those things in mind, are there certain places within the market right now that are poised, technically speaking, for more relative upside than others? Where would you be committing new capital right now based upon the charts? Based upon the charts, Dominic, I think you got to take a look at the industrial sector. This is the sector that we are overweight. And to be clear, for all the listeners, we still remain overweight tech. We have been for like 256 plus weeks. Um, and we also remain overweight to consumer cyclicals and also in the industrials. But for new capital, I'd be looking at these industrials. As this reopening trade starts to pick up, I look at things like, you know, OSK, so Oshkosh. Nice uh, big double bottom in the making there in that industrial name. And I think you're going to see a, a nice move higher from there. I'd also look at in the financials. Yield curve continues to steepen. It's very clear that the 10-year bond yield is moving higher, and we think it'll work higher toward 150 to 170. 
75 by year end. We want to own the banks and you want to own some of the financials. Stocks like Co-America, stocks like uh, Visa, MasterCard, Capital One, all look like stocks that continue to look constructive to us. So those are two areas. And then, Dom, I got to tell you one other thing. As I've been having calls with clients since this month's publication has come out, if I look at the 10 top performing stocks right now in the S&P 500, and I'd simply do a quick poll with, uh, with individuals, pretty much nobody owns any of those top 10 performing stocks. A lot of those are energy stocks uh, that have been in the top 10, and there have also been stocks like Ford and GM that have been under love for a while. So this sort of move toward the value side from the growth seems to be catching on and certainly is a place where investors are going to have to commit some capital. Is Even though they don't want to do it in energy, it's so under-owned, it's probably a good spot to be. It's been a hot part of the market for a while now, for at least the last three to five months here. Craig Johnson of Piper Sandler, thank you very much. Great to get your thoughts, sir. Thank you. All right, coming up on the show, this morning's top trending stories, including McDonald's bringing a drink back because of consumer demand, a surging demand there. I see, I see. Oscars in the age of a pandemic and Tom Brady's also taking a long pass to a whole new level. It's not just a football. It's worth a heck of a lot more. But first, as we head out to break some of your other headlines this morning, Best Buy has notified store workers this week it is cutting some jobs and reducing hours as it adapts to more people shopping online. Shares of iRobot jumping this morning, the robotics company beating Wall Street in its latest quarter in terms of estimates. Those shares up 10% pre-market. And then one more stock to watch today. It's Zillow. Those shares getting a nice pop after the real estate company posted better than expected earnings and revenues. Those shares up 9% pre-market. Stay tuned. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. You wouldn't know it from the sedate action the averages. Dow advancing 62 points. S&P edging down 0.04%. NASDAQ declining 0.25%. But this is starting to feel a little bit like a Kenny Loggins market. Yep, we're on, I'm going to say it, the highway to the danger zone. How many folks were hoping he would say, I'm all right, instead of highway to the danger zone? That was Jim Cramer on Mad Money last night with a warning for viewers and listeners out there. Joining me now is Advisors Capital Management Partner and Portfolio Manager, Dr. Joanne Feeney. I mean, that's the warning. Highway to the danger zone, Joanne. Should we be that scared? Is it F-U-D right now? Fear, uncertainty and doubt all over the place in the market? (laughs) Good morning, Dom. No, I wouldn't be all that scared. I do think there are parts of the market that are uh, run up a little bit and that have become a little bit expensive. Uh, As you know, when we create portfolios for our clients, we are customizing them. We are using individual stocks. So we're able to avoid some of those high flyers. You know, we've been trying to relate to people a key message for this year, which is be careful of the trap of thinking that what you did last year is going to serve you well this year, right? We are seeing a lot of asymmetry in stock performance that came out last year as the COVID hit different sectors in very different ways. And we think that the economic rebound that is coming in the, fir- in, in the second half is similarly going to have an asymmetric effect on stocks. So that suggests, you know, perhaps going into banks, which really do well in economic recovery. But it also says, you know, there are places in technology where you're still finding value and where there's a lot of appreciation potential and also some really good income stocks for clients, you know, that are looking to their portfolios to generate income that they can use in their retirement. So it's a real lot of asymmetry right now. 
that we think is going to be characteristic of the rest of this year. So, so I mean, Joanne, I, I guess before I, I want to get into your stock picks, but I, I also want to kind of f- probe your mind a little bit about this. We've been talking about this notion that there could be a rotation, some kind of a movement, some kind of a transaction to move certain people out of uh, the, the, the established good trade into new ones for a long time now, arguably fits and starts for the past 10 years. Why is this time different? Why can we expect some of those sectors to actually outperform at a time when the last decade it's been all about mega cap tech and communication services? Well, one of the key reasons why this time is different is because of the nature of the shock itself, right? This recession, this massive disruption to stock prices was created by by the pandemic, and that that shut down services industry broadly, that really curtailed the economic activity in those industries. So the reopening trade is what's so very different about past cycles in the stock market and in the economy. And so what, what we see, right, is that the banks that really underperformed last year, energy really underperformed last year. These things do better when an, an economy re, you know, recovers. And we think that in the second half, where we're going to see a lot of companies reopening and we're going to see a much more sudden return to business than we have after past recessions. And that suggests perhaps not that same traditional you know, sector reallocation or value versus growth, but really looking for the companies that stand to gain the most as those different industries reopen. You know, one of them is the auto industry, right, which really got hurt as it shut down manufacturing during the pandemic and is now trying to ramp up production. It is really being constrained by, you know, some of the shortages over in the semiconductor industry. But that itself tells us, you know, how to make some good, uh, good trades right now. All right. Joanne Feeney, thank you very much for that. We really appreciate your thoughts. Good luck out there. Thanks. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures right now pointed to some more gains at the opening bell. You can see there the Dow implied higher by 65 points, the S&P by 11, and the Nasdaq by 63. Squawk Box picks up the coverage coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.